Welcome to Fiery Discourse, your podcast and media featuring dragonesses, female dinosaurs, and other similar swords and scalies. I'm your host, Lud Milanon, and with me are my co-hosts, Angron, Lucky Evie, uh, Math Machine, and Jordan. Today is our 49th episode, and we're discussing the 2007 movie, D-War, Dragon Wars. So, let's get things started. Mm. So, so, this movie started life in a very interesting way. It started um, off as a sequel to Yongari, which was the uh, only South Korean kaiju movie that was made in the 1960s. It's okay. a really good movie. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's a, it is like kind of a traditional kaiju movie in some ways, but it does do some other things interesting. But yeah, this movie started life as a sequel to that, but it eventually became its own thing. And... This movie was the most expensive movie in South Korean history when it was being made. It cost, no joke, 30 billion won. So, yeah, it Which cost... Which roughly translates to $28 million USD. Yeah so, yeah, so it doesn't seem like a lot, but to there, that was a lot, a lot of money. And Yeah, even probably because of inflation and whatnot, but yeah. But yeah... The movie uh, has a mostly American cast. It was an attempt to try to appeal to an international audience, which, in my opinion, we'll get to it in a little bit. I, I don't think it was very necessary, to be honest. But, again, we'll talk about that when it comes. So, the movie opens with a series of uh, nice sort of uh, shadow drawings and sketches with a narration that tells us about how every 500 years... A young woman is born who has the power to turn a serpent into a mighty dragon. And right off the bat, the animation is really nice. It really gets you into the world of building in that. And I feel like if the rest of the movie lived up to this prologue, it would have been really, really good. But unfortunately, uh, it does not. Though we do get some good moments. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But basically what happens is that uh, a good dragon would use the power for protection and healing. An evil one would use it for destruction. The narrator claims that the spirit will be awoken once again. And then we get the title card. And then after the title card, we get our first glimpse at the at the first very bad CGI helicopter that we will see. Of which oh. there are many, many more. And again, uh, the one thing about this movie is the effects are very hit and miss. You have like the actual dragons and that that look fantastic. Then you have stuff like the vehicles that look like stuff from PS2 renderings. Eh, that, yeah. yeah. I am convinced that what happened is that they spent the majority of their money on the American cast. So mm. they just did not have the funds to actually CG that well, other than a couple of things. Yeah, I, that, I think that's exactly. And it's something that, again, I feel is unnecessary because, and we'll get to that in a little bit, it's something that I feel like they were trying to chase a Western audience, but they didn't really need to. I feel like people would have gone to seek this out if it was all Korean, you know, Korean actors, and this was set in Seoul. I don't think it would have been that big of a gap, but maybe that's just mm. me. But, but yeah, uh, the movie uh, takes place in Los Angeles, and it begins at a dig site. A man tries to warn them that they have awoken a beast and that the end of the world is near, and... This entire part right here really reminds me of that movie uh, Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones with the people protesting the uh, the subway and stuff like that. And, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, the volcanologist and things like that. It really does have that kind of uh, feel to it, like of a, of a 90s disaster movie type of feel. Yeah, that, so, yeah, it kind of checks out. Yeah. So Ethan, who is a news reporter, he attempts to find out what's going on, but he's driven away by uh, two guards and that. He stays, and he re secretly records a video of the FBI uncovering what appears to be a set of scales. We then cut back to Ethan's office, where he repeatedly rewatches the footage that he took. And th this is the first of many weird occurrences that we do get in this, uh, in this uh, movie, is that we get like a two-second flashback 
of a young Ethan opening a chest and being blasted with some kind of a, some kind of magic. Then Ethan stares down at his dragon medallion on his chest, and then we go back into the flashback. So you flashed back for ten seconds, like as a precursor to something that we're already gonna see. It doesn't make sense at all. But yeah, the flashback uh, occurs 15 years earlier with a younger Ethan in an antique shop. His father attempts to sell a dagger to Jack, the owner, and Ethan comes across a chest. And the effects of the lock falling off, again, it really doesn't look good. And I think it's like what a math said, that they ran out of budget for a lot of this. So they had to pretty much just scrape and try to save as much as they could just to have this uh, render decently. But yeah, then we get the footage that we literally just saw of uh, basically uh, the chest opening itself, revealing the dragon scales and blasting Ethan with the magic. It reminds me of this one joke from this Leslie Nielsen movie where like Leslie Nielsen jumps up and scares a guy. It turns out to be an old friend and then Leslie goes, oh, that reminds me of good old times. And then it literally just shows the exact same scene or like that happened five seconds earlier. It's like, it's like that, but it's done seriously. Indeed. So, yeah. It's also uh, kind of like how uh, that one uh, uh, Russian animated movie that we just talked about did a clip show of the movie at the end of the movie, but here they decided to just scrap that idea and do it at the beginning. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, what happens is Jack uh, apparently is starting to have a heart attack he tells Ethan's father to go back to go to a nearby shop and he'll pay the man a thousand dollars for what he's trying to sell. And his father runs off, and then it's revealed that uh, Jack was faking his heart attack. Ethan, it turns out, saw a scale from an uh, emoji. Uh, forgive me if uh, I am pronouncing this wrong. Uh, an emoji. You know, emoji. Thank you. I'm not very uh, well versed in Korean, unfortunately. And the light from the box was a uh, heavenly light. And that Jack basically uh, fills Ethan and, of course, the uh, Western audience that Namugi is a creature from Korean legend that can turn into a dragon. He says, he basically uh, gives us the backstory that Amugis live in heaven and every 500 years an Amugi uh, is rewarded for good deeds with the chance to become a celestial dragon. Sadly, mm. we are not talking about the Celestia dragon. That would be a crossover uh. with Friendship is Magic. Ha <laughs> But yeah, they were deprived something. Yeah, that that would have been way better. But regardless, uh, basically the Amugi, in order to transform, they need a gift from the uh, again, forgive me about pronunciation, the Yu Yi Zhu, an individual who has the power to turn an Amugi into a celestial dragon. And it turns out there was an evil Amugi by the name of Burakai who wants the power for himself. Now, one thing I'm curious about is if they played this entire portion in South Korea, or if it was just meant for Western audiences, if this was like an insert of sorts, then the reason I ask this is because now we get a flashback within a flashback. It's flashbackception here, people. Uh. Yeah, the movie is now set in Korea in the 1500s, and Heaven basically sent down its two best warriors to protect the Yu Yi Zhu, but Burakai also knows where it is, Ethan asks Jack basically what he's talking about, and it's at this point with the version I saw of this uh, of this movie, the subtitles uh, for this part, uh, there are no subtitles in the actual base movie. The uh, online video player had subtitles, and these subtitles were incredibly poorly translated. Like, at one point, it was mixing Spanish and English together in the same line of dialogue, so... It was kind of hard to follow, but I probably did my best to get the gist of it. So forgive us if the notes aren't as detailed as they should be for this section. But none of us know Korean, and they did not give subtitles. And the subtitles that we did get were very poorly done. So what happens basically is the old master realizes that something is going to happen. A woman has died giving birth, but her daughter would become the Yu Yi Zhu. And when she would be 20 years old the Yu Yi Zhu would be able to turn the Amugi into the dragon when it basically possesses her body. Uh, the old master visits the woman's father, and he basically warns him that Burakai plans on using her to conquer the world. Uh, time passes, and we see the old man's assistant grow from a boy to a young man, and he falls in love with the Yu Yi Zhu. 
We then get a brief part with the old master and his assistant training, and it kind of becomes a semi-kung fu movie for a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has that type of uh, Shaw Brothers styling to it. And yeah. basically, And basically what happens is uh, they're training in that, they go to the water, and they see the Amugi appear in it. And that, of course, uh, the Yu Yiju has to fuse with the Amugi to become a celestial dragon, and that leaves the old master's assistant heartbroken. The old master gives his assistant uh, the medallion that Ethan has, and he and he basically tells his assistant that it'll ward him against all evil. Uh, we then get to see uh, Burakai sending his armies to the village to find the Yu Yiju, and again, the army, some of which are actual guys in suits. Some of which are like us CGI creatures, and again, they don't look the best. Uh, they attack the village with cannons, and they destroy it. And despite the best army of the uh, Korean, uh, the best efforts of the uh, Korean army, uh, the army of Burakai manages to invade the village. And this entire part—I don't know if this, if this was intentional or not. This is extremely similar to the Helm's Deep portion of the Two Towers. Kind of. Yeah, it did really, really reminded me of it a lot in a lot of ways. Maybe it was unintentional, but it definitely, there were some shots there that seemed very reminiscent of it. I do a little bit more of Minas Tirith a little bit. That's the one I was, that's the one I was thinking of. Sorry about that. Yeah, Minas Tirith, that's the one I was thinking of. of the uh, Gungan battle in Star Wars Episode One. That too. Because of the creature designs. Yeah. That, that very too. much too, especially... The, uh, the creatures with the dragons uh, fused to their backs, which, again, I don't know if they're part of uh, Korean mythology or not. Uh, if, if you're listening to this and you would know about that, uh, we would be very interested in hearing about that. But, yeah. I would uh, also like to say that the, the Star Wars Episode One battle took place nearly a decade earlier, and that looked better than this. Oh, this, and then again, it is such a shame that, like, the creatures with the cannons fused to their back, they look awful. Absolutely awful. They are, they are way too shiny. It's like, they, they didn't even render, like, a, I think, shadows on them at one point. And it really is a shame, because you can really tell that they, they have really, I think, overextended themselves too much. But mm. what happens uh, with this flashback is the army searched through all the women to find the one with the dragon mark, which of course makes her the uh, Yu Yeji. They, they basically the, uh, the army movie, not an R movie. They didn't rip that much shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> it says I go ahead. Nah, it's good. No, go ahead, go. It's all good. <laughs> See, so, yeah, what no. happens is uh, the army kill uh, the Yu Yeji's father, and they drag her off into the woods before the old master and assistant arrive to fight them off, and the assistant brings the Yu Yeji to a clearing while we get to see the old master fight them off in pretty decent fight choreography. I'm not going to lie. It, it looks pretty decent, all things considered. Uh, the old master is uh, basically fatally wounded, and he finds the medallion. And it turns out the assistant is running off with the Yu Yeji. He wants to stop her from uh, transforming. We, we finally get to see uh, Burukai, who, again, looks really good. I feel like Burukai and, of course, uh, the good Imugi, who has a secret that we'll talk about later. I feel like those two were the ones that they put all the budget into. Mm -hmm. Them and uh, the other dragon that we get to see in a little while as well. Because they, they look... enough common sense to do that. Yeah, yeah. They were the standouts of the, uh, of the movie. And it's clear that they, they put all the effort into them. And I think it worked out. Basically, uh, what happened is uh, the two of them leap into the ocean and commit suicide together. So Burakai cannot turn into a celestial dragon and rule the world. And it's here that the flashback ends. The first flashback, mind you. We still have to deal with the second flashback. Basically, uh, Jack explains that he and Ethan are the reincarnations of the old master and his assistant. And apparently there will be a, a reincarnation of the... Yu Yeji as well. Her name will be Sarah, and when she turns 20, Ethan will have to take her to the uh, Great Cave, basically. So what happened is uh, Burakai was denied the power to rule, and all these centuries later, he's basically waiting for the chance to rule. And now, we finally, finally finish the second flashback. This flashback goes on for almost 20 minutes. 
So it mm, definitely yeah. feels like some kind of padding was done, you know? It felt like we oh we have to get this to uh to feature length somehow. Mm, yeah, that, that yeah it definitely felt a little longer. Go back to the Korean movie. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And that that's one thing I wondered. I really wondered if they always meant it to be just the Korean movie with the Korean actors and maybe with like you know English subtitles. It would have been perfectly suitable. But I feel like they tried chasing a trend that let's be honest. I feel like for two thousand seven. I mean, they had The Host, which was an excellent, excellent movie, but I don't know how much mainstream audiences were ready for this kind of thing, basically. Yeah. Also, yeah, also, I will personally admit, I am kind of guilty of doing this as well in some of my stories, which kind of hit a little home a little bit. With yeah. This movie, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. But then, uh, now we finally get back to modern times to see Ethan uh, runs into his friend and uh, cameraman, Bruce, who's played by the only actor that I actually recognize in this thing, uh, Craig Robinson, who uh, is best known for probably being in Hot Tub Time Machine and uh, The Office and a lot of other stuff. Oh, one thing, uh, Jack's actor was also the captain in the 1979 Disney movie The Black Hole, so that's something else I've seen. But yeah, Craig Robinson basically was the only actor I saw, and I was like, oh yeah, I know that guy. The, the rest of the cast uh, were mostly made up of uh, unknowns or people that did not do that much uh, big-name work. Let's do it that way. So, yeah. Basically, uh, Ethan tries explaining to Bruce that he has to find the girl linked to the accident, which comes really out of nowhere because the beginning sequence doesn't look like an accident of any kind. It looked more like an archaeological dig site. It makes me wonder if they had like a more of a prologue uh, added to it. But then they cut it out for, like, budgetary reasons, but they left the dialogue in. So, it definitely is something that, again, feels kind of like a little bit of a plot hole to me. Not a big one, but it's something like, it's like, wait, what accent are they talking about? Yeah. So, yeah. We then cut to uh, Sarah, who, of course, is the reincarnation of the Yu Ye Zhu at a gym with her friend. She watches a new... Excuse me. She watches a news broadcast that uh, Ethan is doing before she sees the scales, and instantly she runs out of the gym and she returns to her apartment before she pulls out a book with Korean writing. We then cut a, a really random cutaway to the scales being stayed in a laboratory, and we get uh, Elizabeth Pena here. Uh, she was Mirage in The Incredibles, and she did a bunch of other work as well. Uh, she plays an FBI agent that really has nothing to do with the story. Again, this feels like something that it's like, oh, we have to get like uh, Western actors for this movie to, to make it appeal to a Western audience. When it, it, this whole subplot with the FBI agents, it does have a conclusion, but it's a very stupid one. And we'll oh, get yeah. to that. So, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. We then cut back to Jack at his antique store meditating. A very strange-looking man. He has, like, a metallic hands and white hair. Basically, the first time I saw him, my first thought was, oh, hey, he's supposed to be, like, Jaws from James Bond. He kind of reminds me a bit of uh, that one villain that's not Bowser from uh, the Mario Bros, honestly. Oh, yeah, I can see that, too, from the, from the movie, yeah. What happens is he basically walks through a gate to get into the building, and then we get a bizarre... Co I guess comedy moment with a woman trying to do the same thing and just bumping against it and then walking away in confusion, which is like, I on bet one hand, I get it, but the way it's delivered is just so weird. Yeah, honestly, honestly, it's pretty funny. And my guess is that she was either senile or just like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know this was a fake hologram. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But then we cut back to Sarah, who has basically covered her entire apartment with a Korean writing, much to the shock of her friend. She claims that something is going to happen and she needs protection. So now uh, they're, I guess, ripping off Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This is important. This means something. That's the first thing I thought about when I thought this. I thought, oh, God, she's going to go to Devil's Tower now. But... No, oh we man! Don't get that. Honestly, I I hear that and I think of that one scene from UHF. Oh God, yeah, they parodied in that too. <laughs> yeah, what happens is uh, her friend convinced Sarah to go out for drinks, but Sarah is still very distant at this time. 
She leaves, and she's accosted by three drunk guys outside the bar. Then we get to see Jack show up, and he easily beats up the three guys before walking off. And it's here we get another subplot added to the amount of subplots we already have. <laughs> we see a yeah, we see a zoo. Uh, a guard is woken up, and he basically sees the elephants being attacked by a serpent-like dragon. The guard uh, watches on in horror before the dragon tries to chase him away, and a man watches evilly. Now, this guy is not the same guy with the white hair and the metallic gloves that we talked about earlier. This is a completely different, uh, I guess, henchman type. They don't really make yeah. clear who this guy is, unfortunately. He's, he's basically a soldier or something like that. Yeah, of uh, Burakai's army, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. The movie then cuts to a police station as Sarah tries to describe what happened with three men and Jack. A random news reporter shows up and tries to gain the story before being pushed away, which will come into play later. Eh. And we then cut to Ethan arriving at Jack's antiques, only for the mysterious man to basically uh, attack him. He makes the antiques come to life and they all start attacking Ethan before, in a really lame cop-out, this is all a dream. It's like... Mm. You know, you have an idea of something interesting happening. You know, it's going to be like some big, uh, mystic, you know, force battle. And then, nope, he just wakes up. It was all a dream. And they, they actually, this is not the first time they do this bit in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do the same so, thing with Sarah. Yep. So, Bruce tells them that he has over uh, 2,700 uh, candidates, and they have no sign of who she is. And it's here that... They probably did this so they could find some way of of uh, Ethan and Sarah finding out about each other. The reporter at the police station shows up and he tells them about what happens with Sarah. For, and again, this feels like they needed some way to actually have Ethan find out about this woman. And they thought this was the best way they could do it. Hmm. And then we cut back to the uh, zoo guard who was talking to the police about what happened last night. He thinks it was a snake, but of course it was like a uh, serpentine-esque dragon. Of course, mm -hmm. the cops don't believe him. And then we cut to Sarah in a parking garage heading to a car. And we get a, a really cool effect, especially for this movie. She puts the keys in and the car uh, starts growing scales and growling, which, again, really cool concept right there. Uh... She runs away from it, but she bumps into a police officer who pulls out a glowing sword and he lunges at her. And you think that, oh God, what's going to happen next? And again, this is a dream sequence. Uh, so that's twice course. in the span of like 15 minutes. They did uh, the, it was all just a dream fake out. So Two yeah. times. Yeah. And so close to each other too. So basically, uh, Sarah calls 911. She's taken to the hospital, and uh, her friend goes to see her in the hospital, but she's turned away. We then cut back to the newsroom as we see Ethan and Bruce trying to find out about uh, Sarah and that. Bruce tries telling Ethan that it's all a fantasy story and asks if he truly believes out of it. And then we get Sarah's friend and her boyfriend are basically arguing about things they could get for Sarah, but they go outside and they see a dragon... Uh, not the same one that attacked the uh, elephants, by the way. A different style of dragon. Drinking out of their swimming pool when they step outside, which... Okay, now we're adding uh, Jurassic Park, uh, The Lost World, to stuff like that. The part with the T-Rex in San Diego. So, uh, Sarah's boyfriend runs off, and we don't find out what happens to him. We see the man with the glowing sword, but we don't actually get confirmation about what happened to him. What happens is uh, Sarah's friend is eaten by the dragon. She's picked up, and at least she's bitten by it. And we get to see the uh, Imugi from earlier, uh, from the uh, Korean flashback, appear inside the pool water. Sarah wakes up in the hospital, but she's locked outside of her room with a guard standing outside. Uh, Ethan and Bruce attempt to find the right Sarah, and we find out her full name is Sarah Daniels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah attempts to fight off the doctors and the staff, which only caused her to look completely insane. And then we get uh, Ethan and Bruce arriving to Sarah's friend's house to find her corpse being collected, which, by the way, looks almost completely unharmed for someone that was, like, bitten in half by a dragon. It's like, you know, they, they do it, and it's like, it would be like if she was, like, stabbed by a knife or something like that, not, like, torn to pieces in that. Yeah, it's pretty... Unless, like, the body was, like, 
put back together on the thing. But no, like no, that. that that's definitely seemed like it was like you know you you sh- they actually show her being like ripped by the dragon, and then they show her body and it's like completely fully intact. I mean, definitely you know, uh, definitely a little bit of a thing there. So what I happens is the CG budget must have been a few pennies and the goodwill of some programmers. There was absolutely no makeup budget. No, no, her body is literally just like you know. It, it it looks nothing like uh pe- people get attacked but they don't even get really hurt or anything and you'll see more of that in a little bit but yeah uh Ethan then goes to the hospital to find out what happens to her and he uses press uh his press uh, confidentials and that it turns out she's under quarantine as Ethan attempts to see her regardless we then get a comedy question mark sequence when we see the zoo guard in a straight jacket trying to tell yeah. them his story Honestly, that's pretty funny. Like this, yeah, the thing it, it in is, this, I guess, but like, I think the it, timing was off on it a little bit. A little yes. bit, maybe. But still, it was pretty funny. Just like it going from him telling the guys, "Hey, there's this giant freaking serpent," to him just ending up in a freaking hospital in a straitjacket, which stuff, yeah. man. Exactly, exactly. And then we get probably one of the, and this is, uh, and this movie is a very strange movie. This moment right here might be in the top three strangest moments of the movie. Ethan sees a doctor. Basically, he asks the doctor about it, and he says that, oh, she's under quarantine. Ethan says, oh, oh, I'm Ethan so-and-so. And the doctor says, oh, you're that reporter. I'm a big fan. I'll take you to see her. No problem. Actually, it's like- correction. That yep. was the doctor later after he talks to the person at the front desk. The person at the front oh, desk. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. My, my apologies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that does happen, though. And that, that yeah, is such happen. a strange moment that this guy is like, oh, you're a celebrity. You can go and see our, you know, mental patient. That's perfectly fine. That's just Jack in disguise. Don't I worry. It's weird when it happened, too. I'm glad they did sort of explain it. Yeah, yeah it, it was way, basically Jack in disguise. Yeah, that that was a good uh, good idea. Yeah. But what yep. happens is we cut again to the zoo guard. He tries telling the head doctor about what he saw and that there's the dragon outside the window. Of course, the doctor turns around and the dragon isn't there and they think he's crazy and that you know, <laughs> comedy bit. Yeah. And then, the, and then the dragon starts attacking the hospital and Ethan tells Sarah that they're both involved in something bigger than both of them as they uh, meet each other. The doctor then returns to evacuate her as the dragon bursts through. And again, the dragon at this point, it looks really good as it rampages throughout the hospital and that. Oh, they yeah. really did go with the lighting, with the shadows, with the, basically the effects on it. Yeah, sort yeah. of. Yeah, but later on, of course, it does not look so good. Uh, oh, it's yeah. just when uh, Ethan and Sarah, they make it to Bruce's car. The dragon smashes in the parking garage, basically chasing them down. And again, the dragon looks fantastic. Oh, or at yeah. least decent. The concrete being destroyed looks way worse. And the problem is, is you have a really good rendered dragon running on like really poorly rendered concrete. It kind of breaks the illusion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. And this also happens uh, when the dragon bursts out of the garage and it kills the uh, parking attendant, uh, apparently. Uh, when it's outside, the lighting effects on it. It looks way too shiny. It's like they they cranked it up to 11 on it. That you can tell it, it's just a model at that point. Indeed. Yeah. So Bruce then uh, panics over the dragon, basically, that it's real. And then he accidentally hits the white-haired man from earlier that was uh, in Jack's uh, antique shop. It turns out that uh, the man has the suit of armor morph onto him. And Ethan realizes that it's the guy from his dream. Bruce steps out of the car and he basically tries to shoot the man to no effect, which I mean, what did you think would happen? The guy is covered in armor from head to toe, but my revolver will surely stop him. Indeed. But yeah, Ethan attempts to beat the man with a wooden board, but it breaks. We then get a kind of, I guess, creative moment where Bruce steals the man's sword and he attempts to use it, but he can't figure out how it works. We then get uh, the man approaching Bruce menacingly, and he actually electrocutes the guy. But then another car appears, and it runs over the man again. And now we get the, another subplot with the government agency, 
where they find out about Sarah and how they must find her and that. The man from earlier that got ran over, he meets up with a group of fellow soldiers and they conjure up various dragons. The uh, dragon from earlier bursts out of the warehouse and roars. Uh, the person who drove the car that uh, rescued uh, Ethan and Sarah is Jack in disguise yet again, which, again, a nice touch they did do that. They did explain that. Yeah. Yeah. What happens is uh, Ethan basically explains a little bit more of the story to Sarah as they walk on the beach. And we then cut back to the government agency where they basically tell us what we already know. They, they are repeating exposition at this point. Well, they don't know that. Yeah, I know, I know they don't know that, but I feel like there was a way they could do that without making it so obvious that they're just repeating the exposition of uh, things. It feels like one of those scenes that this was made first before they decided to do the full 20-minute Korean movie. Mm. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, what happens is they plan to capture Sarah and use military force on the, quote, giant snake, unquote. <laughs> what happens is the military are sent to a cavern where the dragon appears and basically kills them all. We then get to see the soldiers fight with Burakai's army to no avail, and... It's here we get a really neat effect that I think actually was practical. The head soldier waves his sword, and he sets the soldiers on fire. I really think that was a practical stunt, because the way he waves his hands, the, the flames shoot up immediately. It, it, I don't think it was rendered there. I think it really was actually open flame on the set, which, again, really nice touch that they did that. Mm. And we get... Yeah. Basically, Ethan takes Sarah to a hypnotherapist. We don't know this game. We don't. We don't know uh, his name rather. We don't know how ja Ethan. I think they took him, him to Jack. I could be wrong. Uh, I don't think so because this guy dies. Actually, uh, he's okay. killed when the uh, snake uh, destroys his house. But yeah, we basically see uh, flashbacks of Sarah's past with both of her parents' uh, death and that. And then we cut back to a uh, 1500s Korea again. Basically, what happens is it's a scene with the Yu Ye Zhu and the uh, old master's assistant. They basically, Yu Ye Zhu says that I'll meet you in the next life to the assistant as they jump to their deaths. Sarah then starts levitating off the couch, but she is not possessed by either Pazuzu or Zul in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ethan is watching on in shock, and basically, the dragon then arrives at the hypnotherapist's house. It destroys it and kills the hypnotherapist. And the two of them run off. Ethan steals a car from a delivery driver as another dragon chases them and kills the driver. Uh, Ethan then calls Bruce, and we see Bruce with a bandage from his attack, which, I mean, this guy electrocuted him. Like, he did, like, Emperor Palpatine, unlimited power level of, like, electricity. Yeah. He should have more than just, like, a bandage on his head, you know? Yeah, that uh, makes... Yeah. I would like to repeat, yeah, but... no makeup budget at all. No, not at all. They, they, they like slapped a bandage on and said, okay, that's it, makeup's over, moving on. So yeah, basically, uh, Ethan asks Bruce if there's a way they can get a flight, and the government agents uh, basically are talking about the dragon attacking the town and how they're still looking for Sarah. Bruce uses his influences to get them a helicopter, and Ethan plans to get them someplace safe. Uh, they plan to basically hide out in a series of very tall buildings and to keep as mobile as possible. Bruce then talks to Ethan and he gives him his gun. And it's here that Ethan finally realizes that uh, Sarah is the Yu Ye Zhu and he tries to get her to change her fate. And then, of course, Jack appears out of nowhere to tell him that he can't fight fate and it's Sarah's destiny to transform. That the fate of the world depends on them getting Sarah to the sacred cave, wherever that is. And again, we do not actually see the sacred cave in this film. So what it looks like, we will never know. Indeed. So the dragon appears once more and attacks the restaurant by uh, destroying it before it uh, turns its attention towards them. Bruce basically uh, gets them in his car and he uh, drives away before, in a really cool effect, the dragon picks up a car in its mouth and it throws them at it throws it at them and it blocks the way. Ethan and Sarah manage to get out, but Bruce is knocked unconscious. 
Uh, mm. The dragon approaches them menacingly, but the cops show up and they menacingly. are. <laughs> yeah, it's standing there menacingly. That's its maniac shriek. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, basically the police open fire on the dragon and it turns its attention towards them, which uh, Ethan and Sarah use to get away. We then get cut back to the uh, white-haired man again, and he's speaking uh, Korean. His speech basically boils down to, we must find the Yu-Ye-Ju for uh, Burakai. And a troop of dragons fly out of the castle while the white-haired man's army prepares for battle. Uh, the dragon from earlier that attacked the restaurant begins attacking L.A., and the cars collapse onto each other. And again, a practical effect because these are actually cars being dropped on top of each other, and it looks good, because again, it's really there. It's real cars being destroyed in that. Basically, uh, Ethan and Sarah make it to the building, but the dragon notices them and climbs it up, and again, as the dragon has no limbs, it looks more like a snake, so it's like coiling around the building, which is a really neat effect. The two of them make it into the uh, escape helicopter, but the dragon begins attacking it, uh, Sarah and Ethan just barely managed to jump out, but the dragon crashes it to the ground, which really reminded me a little bit of uh, King Kong. More so the uh, King Kong uh, 70s version, within when uh, Kong's on the uh, World Trade Center, he destroys the uh, helicopters there. Yeah, I got mm. that vibe too. Uh, as soon as I, I saw the snake wrapped around the building and then it falling, I was like, I've seen this movie before. Exactly, it's like the 1970s yeah. version of uh, King Kong. So, yeah. uh, kind of reminds me of that too. It also, uh, oh man, uh, I was gonna say something. Oh right, uh, it also kind of reminds me a bit of uh, the 1998 Godzilla scene of uh, Godzilla the. Oh, uh, we will get more. We will get a lot more similarities to 1998 Godzilla because oh. uh, the dragon then lunges after them before it's stopped by the military. The military helicopters are destroyed by the dragon, and again, these look absolutely terrible. These look like, again, unfinished models, and like, like Matt said, and I, I don't want to beat like a, a broken record at this point, but it really is such a shame how bad this looks, you know, especially because... I'm it, not again, exaggerating when I say these could have been Lego figures and they would have looked better. Yes, yes. This is stuff that I think 1995 probably would have been able to render these helicopters better than this. So what happens is the winged dragons arrive to destroy the rest of the helicopters while the army march to the streets. Uh, The police fight off the army while the military attack the dragons. And at this point, I came to a horrible realization. What? This is just basically Michael Bay's Transformers. With the like the the shot of like the military men shooting at like the Decepticons, you have like you know them smashing against each other. It really feels like every single final climatic fight scene of the Michael Bay Transformer franchise in this movie. It it really has that vibe to it. And I think the Michael Bay Transformers came out a- after this movie. It might have, it might have, but it really does remind me of it because it's a lot of close-up of guys with guns screaming, and then it cuts to, like, CGI dragons and things like that, and it really, really is tedious. It it really, it drags on, and haha, drag on, dragon. Uh-huh. But yeah, but seriously, it just, it felt like five hours of, like, the military versus the dragons. This felt like padding, and it really shouldn't have. I mean, you look at, like, Godzilla 98. Okay, that movie might not be the best, but at least it knew, I think, one to build tension. One to have, like, actual chase scenes and action and things like that. You can actually feel the action. This just feels like they just slapped it together in an afternoon, some of these action scenes. And, and the again, main issue the, uh, is it keeps jumping everywhere. So in the time span that they're showing all this, you can't really focus on anything. You're just like, okay, here's a scene. Now here's another scene. Now here's another scene. And it keeps going like that. It's like, I can't follow any of this shit. It's too much. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, that is exactly right there. Yeah. So what happens is uh, the uh, government agents uh, then arrive, and they're mentioning they're searching for the Yu Ye Zhu. As the battle rages on, the uh, government agents find uh, Sarah and Ethan, and they force them into the car. We then get to hear a Wilhelm scream, when the dragon picks up a police officer and throws him into a car, yeah. so 
Nice. They this is actually that. the second Wilhelm scream because the first was in the Korean movie with a villager that got squished on. Yeah, I heard Ooh. that. Oh, I uh, I did not hear that. Yeah. So we do get a admittedly really badass sequence where one of the dragons is killed when a helicopter that's on fire just rams into it. And that alone is a really cool sight. And it, it looks decent enough, I think. You know, that's like one moment where it's like, okay, you had one cool moment in this entire uh, fight scene. So what happens is uh, the government agents have put uh, Ethan and Sarah into a warehouse. One of the government agents wants to shoot Sarah despite Ethan's protest. Ethan is shot by the one FBI agent who basically says that, oh, this will happen 500 years. We'll know what to do with it then. The other government agent kills the one who wants to shoot Sarah and lets them go, allowing to use his car. And again, this is completely pointless. Because they, they solves nothing. It literally is, oh, I'm going to shoot her to stop the dragons. And the other FBI agent is, I'm, I'm going to shoot you to stop you from shooting her. And he shoots the other FBI agent dead. It feels like something that, again, I the script maybe had more with these characters, more tension, more... Uh, I don't even know these guys' names. You know, that, that's why I'm calling them government agents, because I don't even yeah. think they say these guys' names once in the movie. I think they did. I just didn't hear it. No, if, if, they, if they did, I didn't hear it either. They must have said it only like once or twice. Yeah. So what happens is the two of them drive off into the country. Uh, they bond with each other for a little bit before the dragons attack. And uh, basically they knock Ethan out. When Ethan awakes, he finds himself tied to a pole in some kind of... I don't know where this is. Other realm or something? This reminded me of like a the Mortal Kombat movie when they go to like hell. the other realm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. A temple in the bowels of hell for all we could know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it really is out of nowhere too because this is nowhere connected to the rest of the movie. Uh, I want to make this clear. The, the entire time, this big bad lizard is trying to eat her right away but now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it decides to trickle and take the time to drag these people to its shrine. Yes, yes, that that is like villain, like villain stupidity right there. And what happens is a Burakai comes out of the castle and prepares to take over. Ethan screams, and you're thinking about, oh, how is Ethan going to get out of this one? And we get one of the most dumbest deus ex machinas in any sort of movie. Ethan's medallion glows and it releases a sky beam. And the sky beam kills the entire army except for the leader. The entire army, including their dragons, including the ones with the cannons on their backs, all of them are just hit by a beam and instantly disintegrate. It is like... Such a cop out. It was like they wrote themselves into a corner and they had no idea how to get this get out of this. Guys like Machina. Oh, it's comes in handy. Yep. So the leader claims that he'll kill Ethan himself. He engages in a sword fight. And again, the leader's death is pathetic too, because he stabs the medallion, which kills him instantly. Uh Buru Kai rises up and prepares and he prepares to kill them before the uh Imugi from earlier arrives. The two of them fight and Sarah steps forward. Uh a ball of light emerges from her before it strikes the Imugi, which turns into the celestial dragon. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason we're covering this on this show because it's not really a traditional dragonness transformation, but it is her essence, her spirit going into the celestial dragon making it a dragon it's 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 very flimsy pretext i know but i think for this show it still works it's flimsy pretext for a flimsy movie so it works yeah it's just that too so the celestial dragon basically looks like a traditional depiction of an eastern dragon and it's cgi looks good for the time you know uh the one thing at least the copy i saw the lighting was very dark, so it was hard to see the fight at times. Yep, that was an issue I saw too. I don't Indeed. know if it was like intentional or if it or if it was just the copy we had of it, but it I really just, see it just fine. For yeah, the, most yeah. Part. the two of them battle it out for some time again with some good effects and 
this is where they put all of the money into, was this moment right here. This is basically where they put all of their money into, was this uh, this fight sequence. And it's a good one. The uh, Celestial Dragon eventually wins by setting Burakai on fire and uh, killing him. We then get the uh, Celestial Dragon basically go towards Ethan and look at him in surprise as Ethan is cradling Sarah's dead body. Her body then vanishes as the Celestial Dragon watches on. Her spirit uh, then appears next to the dragon, and Sarah claims that they will meet again in another life. Her spirit is then devoured by the Celestial Dragon before the Celestial Dragon, she soars off into the heavens. Uh, Jack then appears before Ethan, and he tells him it was a great honor before disappearing, so I guess he's been dead the whole time. And I, the movie I wouldn't ends, doubt that he was. Yeah. The movie ends with Ethan saying goodbye to Jack and just walking off into the desert, which, again, we have no idea where this, uh, where he even is. Is he even in the same dimension right now? I feel yeah. like he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna run into, like, Ash Williams there. I slept too long. I slept too long. Honestly, kind of reminds me of this one game that has a very bizarre premise. It's uh, basically a Japanese game uh, where you uh, uh, where you go through this place as several people stuck in this alternate horror dimension, and like one of them just remains behind to like freaking go nuts. It's bizarre, and honestly, it's a lot, a little more nonsensical than this movie. But yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So what happened, uh, D-Wars was not a financial flop by any stretch of the imagination, but it uh, it did not become the gigantic franchise that its producer wanted. The producer of this movie was absolutely convinced this was going to be huge. That's why he got the, the Western actors. That's why he had, like, a big marketing campaign. They said the same uh, thing about Lego uh, Zoobles yeah. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you can no, see how that went. Yeah. The so, package. Uh, a sequel has been in development since 2016, apparently. But uh, no news about it at all has been confirmed. And this movie in general, I feel it's just okay. It's like, it's mediocre. It's not the best thing I've seen. It's not the worst. It could have been a lot better. I feel like if they found a way to put a little bit more effort into it, it would have been fantastic. But for the most part, I don't think that's it's going to work out, unfortunately. Uh, how do you guys feel about this? It's just new to her. Okay. Yeah, I think that it's it's this weird case where they were trying to absolutely westernize this thing, and I get why they did, but when this came out, it didn't really need that. Godzilla was an insanely popular franchise by this point in the West. We had already gotten a bunch of anime movies and other such things. We The Western world was open to the idea of uh, Asian film, so why this was needed to be made in a Western style, I don't understand. Exactly. Exactly right. That that is. It, it feels like what they wanted to do originally was the Korean section of the movie. And maybe you would have a modern sequence set in modern day Seoul or something like that. But the thing is, I feel like chasing, trying to chase an audience that, let's be honest, really probably wouldn't have gotten into this because of that. I, I feel like they, they really shot themselves in the foot that way. They really could have made it better. And sadly, they did not. Mm, indeed. They would have had a decent audience if they had stuck to a traditional Korean movie. By trying Maybe. to Americanize it, they were left with no audience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, now it is time for the question of the week, which is, what is your favorite uh, live-action Asian movie, which probably, be, spoiler alert, is going to be just us talking about kaiju movies. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, of course, I am a big kaiju fan. You know, Godzilla, Gamera, even the more obscure ones like uh, Gappa and uh, what's the one? Goo Yaya, I, I like. I think Bogo. also a really underrated uh, uh, a movie from, you know, Asia live action that's really, really good. I mentioned it earlier was The Host. 
from uh, South Korea. That is such a great, fantastic movie. The the way they do it, and especially like with the the appearance of the monster in that, it really is well done. Of course, we have a Snowpiercer, who a lot of people probably don't even know uh, was made there, but that's another excellent, excellent movie. Uh, I haven't seen Parasite yet. I want to, but I'm just having it the time to. Mm. But yeah, I'm really going to go with, I think, The Host for my favorite, because I like Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer is great and all, but I just feel like uh, there's something about The Host that's just so good. It really, really is. You know, I think it what it is, it's the design of the monster combined with the whole atmosphere of the movie in a way. It has kind of a, a claustrophobia to it that, that really works out for the best. Mm. So, yeah, uh, I can and do well, that. Yeah, what would you have to say? Boy, Asian films. Uh, I mean, there's uh, there's two Japanese films I really enjoyed, but I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to give this to Kung Fu Hustle. It, I think it's pretty much safe that I think it's pretty much safe to say that the description of Kill Bill meets Looney Tunes is more than accurate for this because that good look it, honestly <laughs> well it's still pretty fun the action's fun the characters are fun it it's bizarre as all heck but it is entertainingly bizarre and i really like enjoyed all the stuff that went on in it like oh man just the wacky chase scenes the freaking roll the freaking techniques that they use just oh man this is really clever segment where they use like a i i don't want to call it a biwa i don't know what the instrument is but uh basically they use slicing sounds to like uh decapitate their enemies and it is oh man it is very clever what they do with that 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 is an excellent choice right there. I I cannot believe I completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, Matt, what would you have to say? Mine is probably going to be a shock, and you'll probably remember this after hearing about it. The live action Death Note movies. Please know oh, I'm geez. not talking about the Netflix one. Thank oh, you. I see. Not the Netflix one. Okay. These were Not the one with Willem Dafoe. around the time of the actual Death Note anime. I remember uh, that, actually. I didn't see it, but I remember it coming out around that time. It was a couple of movies that were made to follow the Death Note plot, and for the sole reason of the actor that they got to play, L absolutely understood the homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got who to play L? Method with L. He actually sat like L for a couple of months. He lived on L's diet. He admitted that uh, he got sick a lot because of that. I'm sorry, he which actor? He embraced the character, and he was easily the best character in it. Okay, who was the actor? Uh, let me look that up, because we're, we're talking 2007 Japanese cinema. That's a obscure thing. He was so popular uh, that he actually got his own spinoff movie. Oh, that's interesting. I vaguely remember watching the uh, Japanese live uh, movie of Death Note, and that I kind of liked, but when Netflix came over and took it over, I'm like, you just yeah. killed it for me. Uh, nice. Kenichi nice. Matsuyama, for the record. I'm sorry, what did oh, you say? Nice, nice. What was Kenichi that? Matsuyama was the so, name of the actor who played L in the uh, live-action Death Note movies. Uh, first name again? Kenichi. Kenichi Matsuyama. Oh, that's interesting. I did not know that, and that's pretty interesting that you did. Yeah, that that definitely sounds... I haven't seen it. I, I'll probably check it out sometime. Mm. L absolutely steals the show. He is the best part of that. So it's the anime all over again. And they they did actually change between the two movies. They changed the plot of the anime so that it ends with L rather than going on to uh, uh, the the two new guys who just did not work as well. That's right. that that's actually good. I really like when adaptations actually be more pragmatic like that. Indeed. Yes. It also kind of reminds me of uh, Doug, uh, uh, 
Oh, never mind. I really need, I I want to watch Death Note, but uh, I like many other animes. I could not get past the first episode mainly because my uh, mainly because my attention kind of waned a little bit. But eh, who knows? I might I might watch Death Note again. Yep, that's a good one. So, uh, Jordan, what would you have to say is yours? Oh, mine's kind of simple. Uh, everyone knows the Legend of the Monkey King, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I know who he is. So I found this Korean or Japanese uh, three-movie pick. They have, like, they started out with different... It started with the first movie, like, how he wrecked the heavens, how the Monkey King started, how he came to be, and it's called Monkey King Wrecked the Heavens. And I'm like, hooked on it. It's beautifully done. And then they made two more of the same uh, studio that made the first one. And they made two more. And I'm like, I'm hooked. And I love how it tells the story of the Monkey King, how he meets the priest and uh, the other companions of his journey. Yeah, that's interesting. Is this the 1960s Dong Wah movie? I think so, yes. I have the, all three of them in my collection. The old school animated movies? No, these are live action. Oh, okay. Mm. And they just have the uh, same something with, Uh, The studio is... Oh, I can't remember. It all, I don't have my DVD set with me, but it's just really good. On like The actor who played the Monkey King are brilliant done the stories of heaven and hell fighting for nice nice honestly journey to the west is uh very iconic for a reason Mm -hmm. it it is iconic yeah it definitely is i think it's it's really hard to say what it is but it really is um you know there's something about that story that's just universal i feel yeah and like i said the first one again it just tells like how he became to be and how he had to learn his way until you know he did screw around with Buddha and heaven and he got held down on earth for so long waiting for this right priest. And again, he still it still shows him like, okay, I'm the best, I am the number one. Then he learns compassion and understanding more and more. Like he has to follow the rules no matter what. You have to do it no matter what and understand people's lives in the second mm. one. And it's just you understand monkey and everyone else around him. Like Pixie's still a pervert no matter what, but it's just good. Exactly. Oh, I think I found it. Uh, the monkey King havoc in heaven's palace, uh, with, yep. uh, chow yun fat. Yep. Oh, Ooh, interesting. And again, so it's it the same studio that did the first one. They did second and third of, um, the story. They may have cut off a couple, like, huge things but it still connects like they talked about their journey they did to get to find these sacred scrolls and everything else and it's well, still I know, there I know this one i haven't seen it but it is very interesting uh that you uh bring that up it's really good i recommend watching it again and again just for like laughs and kicks nice it's got donnie yen and chow yun fat like the, yeah this sounds like a really good movie it is Indeed. Yep. So, uh, Evie, what would you have to say? Probably, I'm not sure if it is Asian, but that's a Pikachu. It counts. <laughs> uh, I, okay. it's, I don't know if it does, but it, it does. It counts. If it were animated, I would probably give a different answer, but yeah, we're doing live action. Yep. But, hey, you know, so now it is time uh, for ranking the uh, Dragonus. And the patent pending uh, dragon to scale. Mm. And for this one, uh, we're going to rank the uh, Celestial Dragon slash the Good Emoji. And this is Moogie, sorry. But this is very interesting because, okay, it's not really a character per se. It's more of a, I Plot guess device. you could say, Deus Ex Machina. But it does have a cool appearance. I like that uh, it technically, uh, Sarah becomes part of it. So it is a dragoness that in uh, some way. So that is a cool that counts in its favor, and I like its design. It's a simple Eastern dragoness design, but sometimes simplicity is the best. 
That being said, it, it really is more of a plot device than anything else, or she is more of a plot device rather than anything else. So I can't really go any further than, and if I'm being really generous, maybe a little more than I should be, I'm going to give her a 6 out of 10. Mm. Yeah, I, that's I really, the, the reason I say it is because I do think for the very short screen time that she has at the end, I do like that she seems to have compassion for Ethan once Sarah passes away. But the fact that she sheds a tear and she stares at him in that, you know, like longingly almost, that is a good character mm. detail, which is, again, a point in her favor as well. So I'm going to give her a, a 6 out of 10 in that case. All right. That's fair. So, uh, Angron, what did you give her? Uh, in the time she appears, it's pretty amazing. I will say that. But I, yeah, it, it's a fun. De- OK, it's a fun design. I like uh, what it did in the beginning. And it becoming the Celestial Dragon was very much amazing. And the build up to it, OK, was a little non-existent, but it was still pretty decent. But I'm going to have to agree. It really, like, needed more time to show up. And we needed more of it, to be honest. So, for that reason, I'm also going to give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with it as well. So, uh, Math, what would you have to say? I'm going to keep it going with a 6. Basically, mm-hmm. everything that I said last week reverse that and that's the 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 stuff here the visuals look great on uh the celestial dragon uh mostly the this is a personal taste thing i did not like the unhinged snake jaw on the celestial dragon that looked weird to me but that's a personal taste thing i can see how some people might like that idea uh I actually did like the the little transformation they did where the Gudamugi just shed its skin and became the Celestial Dragon. That was kind of neat. This, yeah, definitely. Sorry. What? Yeah, that's like, oh, God. I, I was going to say that that was a really nice detail with her shedding her, shen, shedding her skin like a snake. I don't count Sarah as a personality in this because Sarah is her own character. So we don't really get anything with the good Amugi, though, other than it comes and here I come to save the day kind of stuff. <laughs> nothing to this. It's I'm going to keep going back to this well. I am monster! And that's it. We we yeah. got nothing from this character except for that one tear shed at the end to show a bit of personality, but I attribute that more to Sarah than anything else. So there's just nothing to this character. For as much personality as last week's dragon hat and for shit as it was like i said it's the exact opposite here it looks great there we got nothing for personality mm, yeah yeah i definitely can see that so um jordan what would you have to say the movie was good if they would have kept it japanese or korean I would definitely like it the way it is, what it would have been, but having it being Western and Japanese mix, I'm like, you have me, then you lose me, then you have me again. It's just back and forth. I'm like, where's the exciting part? The fi- the fightings were good. It's just that you just lose me in and out of all this boring stuff. So I'm just going to say six because... It doesn't really into the ending of the whole climax, which was really cool. How we have two gods fighting over one person, and then she gives herself up, and the transformation is good. Everything else at the end was just great, and then that does it. I, I agreed that I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna have it at six, like you guys have it at. Okay, that's good. And uh, Evie, I guess six is. Okay, so wow, that that is, uh, I think, one of the rare times the uh, character has gotten the same score from everybody. That has only happened uh, oh, yeah. a very few times on this podcast. Indeed. Last time it happened, believe it or not, was uh, with Bamboo Bears with I.I., which was made by uh, North Korea. So both the North Korean and South Korean dragonists got a uh, got the same score from everybody. So talk Korean about coincidence there. I guess. Yep, at least there's that. 
So, if uh, you have any questions, or if you would like to send us uh, better subtitles for the movie than the ones we got, <laughs> you can feel free to email us at fierydiscourse at outlook.com or visit us on twitter.com at twitter.com slash fierydiscourse. Nice. Next time is our 50th episode. We oh, have yeah. done 50 of these things, and we are going to do many, many more in the future because we're, we're enjoying this far too much. Oh, so yeah. For our 50th, mm -hmm. we're going to discuss something very, very special, and that's going to be the oldest thing we ever cover on the podcast. At over 110 years old this year, we're going to be talking about the 1914 animated short, Gertie the Dinosaur. Technically mm -hmm. 110, but absolutely. 110, old. yeah. 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 But yeah. Uh, 110 year old film, Ger Gertie the Dinosaur. Windsor McKay, probably one of the most influential uh, pieces of animation ever in existence. And we are going to have a lot of fun talking about this because this is, I mean, there is so much to talk about with this and with uh, basically history in general. And the first gonna... animated dinosaur, I yep, think. Yeah, yeah. Technically, she is the first uh, animated uh, female dinosaur on screen. I don't know who the first animated dragonist would be on screen. We'd probably have to look that up. But yeah, for the 50th, we're going to do something big. And it doesn't get bigger than a Gertie. So that'll be next week's, though. And we thank you guys so much for listening to this one. Until next week, take care. Later. Bye. Adios. Mm -hmm.